JK Rowling, we love you 3000. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter movie club that actually does like Harry Potter. Seriously. Harry Potter. Who's Harry Potter? Oh, no one. Bit of a toss already. What do you see before you, ladies and gentlemen? It's a curious little potion known as Felix Felicis. But it is more commonly referred to as... Liquid luck. Yes, Miss Granger. Liquid luck. I've never been to this part of the castle. At least not while awake. I sleepwalk, you see. That's why I wear shoes to bed. You can't be serious. That happens to be my sister. So? What if she looked over here and saw you studying me? Would you expect her to get up and leave? What's she doing here? I might ask you the same question. I happen to be his girlfriend. I happen to be his friend. Oh, to be young and to feel love's keen sting. I was in the library the other night, in the restricted section, and I read something rather odd about a bit of rare magic. It's called, as I understand it, a Horcrux. I beg your pardon? Horcrux. Severus, please. Have I the cadaver? Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And I'm Kyle Price Livingston. Yes, we're back with Kyle for a movie mini. Maybe it'll be mini. Maybe it'll be maxi. I don't know. Yeah, these tend to be misnomers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we've been away. This It's been a minute. Uh, it was just a wild April. So we're finally getting around to this. That's okay. You missed us. Now it'll be fun. <laughs> Unless you're one of the people that hates us, which has been happening a lot lately. No, not that many. It's not like a trend That's line. That's true. It's not but, a trend uh, line. We assure you that we do like Harry Potter. Some yeah. people are like, "Are you guys? Do you guys like this series?" I think we do, right? I mostly do. Yeah. Kyle, do you like Harry Potter? Yeah, I I love Harry Potter. It doesn't mean I don't also love. I love complaining about things that I love. Like, yeah. That's not a word. That's I, not a sign like that I actually just like. That's totally our shtick, but anyway. So we are talking about the movie of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, directed by David Yates. You will obviously hear spoilers for Half-Blood Prince, but if you've gone with us through this journey so far, you already know what happens, and you will hear cursing, plenty of it. Also, some adult themes. This week's adult themes are non-canon battles, Aloof Dumbledore, Skinny Slughorn, Jacked Ron Weasley, and Teen Hormones. We don't have to do Alex What Happened This Week because what happened is what happened in the previous like 25 episodes of the podcast. (laughs) Snape kills Dumbledore. So let's start with our general impressions of the movie, how we felt about it. Did we like it? Did we enjoy it? What happened in our brains? I liked the part when Ant-Man was in the quantum realm. (laughs) I need to not ever talk about Endgame again. (laughs) Kyle, did you see Endgame? Oh, I sure did. 
How come everything I love insists on adding time travel? Oh <laughs> God! Sorry, guys. This movie will. This episode will contain spoilers for Avengers Endgame as well. <laughs> that actually might be a problem. Most no. people have seen Endgame by now, right? If they're gonna we're, see the it. Russo. Yeah, we're past the, the director's mandated cutoff point. Yeah, made. we're free to do spoilers. The Russos put like a worldwide embargo on like. Avenger spoilers that lasted like a week. They are not allowed to do that. They don't have any authority. Yeah, I know. It was uh, completely informal, but people like really observed it. Okay, well now we can spoil it. Except for like the Marvel wiki, the like what a, what a fan one of those fandom wikis. Like they put little crosses next to various names on it if their character has died throughout the course of the series. So I was just brushing up because I don't, I can't, I haven't watched like all. 25 Marvel movies, or how, how many movies? There's like as many Marvel movies as there are Democrats running for president. Hard <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's very topical. And yeah, I got the the main like deaths totally spoiled. Although everybody dies in, well, half of them die in Avengers: Infinity War. But then like I don't know, the Avengers build a time turner. Yeah, they basically build it. Sorry, this is actually about the Half Blood Prince, so we should talk about. Does the time uh, turner work well? I didn't see Endgame, y'all. I don't think I will see Endgame. You had to stop after uh, Age of I Ultron. I hated Age of Ultron maybe more than I've ever hated a movie in my life. I left Age <laughs> of Ultron furious. <laughs> I didn't understand it at all. And I've actually seen a fair number of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's movies. So there was no excuse of like, well, you don't know who any of these characters are. I just thought Age of Ultron was trash, and I didn't see any other Avengers movies. Age of Ultron is the Bill de Blasio presidential campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants Why this. is this here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm way behind. All I've watched is Harry Potter. Harry Potter is... Half-Blood Prince is definitely better than Age of Ultron. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Is Half-Blood Prince better than Avengers Endgame? No. I don't think so. Okay, cool. Sorry, yeah. guys. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> So I know this is a good segue actually to what we're actually supposed to be talking about. I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but every time I watch one of these movies, I'm just like, how the fuck would you know what was going on if you hadn't read this book? They're so disorienting if you don't really know the plot. And you would, if you only saw them, I don't think they stand alone. I can't imagine only having seen the Harry Potter movies and knowing what happens in Harry Potter. Right. Yeah. I'm trying. What's a good example of that in this one? The Horcruxes. You get like 10 seconds of what a Horcrux is. Yeah. And it's confusing. Yeah. Well, and um, I, mean, I feel like the only way to test this out would be to find someone who hasn't read Harry Potter and, and get them to watch the movies. I think I know a fair number of people who have only seen the movies. And I guess they they understand the broad strokes of the plot, but you just miss like two thirds of the plot of each book. Yeah. They well, don't know about Peeves the poltergeist at all. <laughs> you just wouldn't know the existence of Peeves. But Peeves is like not really central, yeah. <laughs> he just sort of like makes things happen. He drops like armor when like there needs to be like a disturbance. Right. It's de- it does a poltergeist. That's his, that's his yeah. Okay, fair enough. I just think that you don't really know the Harry Potter universe if you're missing a lot of the characters that just don't end up showing no, I hear up you. in 
But whatever. I complain about that all the time. But I kept, I just was watching this movie like there's all these moments where I would be really confused if I didn't know. Yeah, it's like, okay, now they're in a cave. Why is there a cave? Tom Riddle had like a postcard of this cave. Uh, Yeah, he has a postcard of the Horcrux cave. Yeah, where did he get that? I I don't know. I think it's a photograph. I think he took a photo. Oh, with a stolen camera? I don't know. I guess he's like he's like uh he's like eleven, and he like so he like he's such a serial killer that he like brought a camera to like photograph the cave where he like brought these children to and like tortured them. <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah. But yeah, you just wouldn't get you would just want. I think yeah, you would be like, why are they in a cave right now? Yeah, and you wouldn't know why the cave was significant, and no, maybe I mean, you don't need to know that because it's just I like guess. the it's scary just... Horcrux destination. I don't know. Fair enough. Okay, so incomprehensibility of the Harry Potter film universe aside, what did we think of this movie? I think it's, like, significantly better than Order of the Phoenix um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think it is one of the better Harry Potter movies. It might be my favorite of the Harry Potter movies. I love Prisoner of Azkaban because of how it looks, but as I've mentioned, I hate time travel, so that is <laughs> down for me. Uh, but um, I, this movie looks really good, which is not surprising because they brought in like a real professional cinematographer. Um, <laughs> it's the, the uh, his name is Bruno. Oh, I'm gonna butcher it. His name is. Uh, he did. Um, Amelie, uh, yeah, Bruno Debonel. He, he did uh, Amelie and Inside Lewin Davis and uh, Ballad of oh, Mr. Wow. Scruggs. He's like a real cinematographer. Yeah, he's really good. And he, I talked about this in the Order of the Phoenix mini. There's a whole lot of like heavy handed use of colored light where like characters will literally be standing in pools of colored light that is supposed to like indicate their character, which is like kind of cool and interesting, but also got really old by the end. And in this movie, they've replaced that with a much more traditional, like, let's just put a full-colored filter over various scenes. You know, scenes in, in uh, involving Snape tend to have a green filter. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that. Armin is blue. Um, the, going through the countryside, normally, in all the other movies, the Hogwarts Express through the countryside is through this, like, lush green countryside and in this movie the grass is brown they went like full sepia tone it looks like they're in the old west like riding to a showdown at the okay corral like it's just a cool artistic choice there's some scenes that are even they feel like they could be in black and white. yeah it's almost black and white that they're so washed out and sort of drained but in a good way i don't mean they're not washed out in a bad way but like the scene in the cave Looks like it could be filmed in black and white. Yeah. Or the uh, the bathroom fight between Harry and Drake. Yes, yeah, except that the was red a, blood. Yeah. That was a nice. That was a nice touch. That's a great scene. Yeah. One thing that I noticed, and I'm not nearly as well versed in film, but there were a lot of interesting kind of horror movie tropes and cuts in a way that I really liked. Like there were like jump scares. There's the scene with Katie Bell getting cursed that had a very kind of like contemporary horror feel to it when she's getting like jerked around in the air there were kind of moments when somebody wasn't standing there and then they were standing there like even at the very beginning when the train passes and then Dumbledore is there by himself um 
Yeah. I just felt like there were a lot of moments where that felt like they could have been pulled out of a horror movie. Yeah, a lot of which jump I really cuts. enjoyed. Kind of Sam Raimi E in spots. It really made apparating look completely terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it did. Which was feels accurate. Yeah. I really liked that. I liked that a lot. I want to talk about one of the main performances that I think we actually might disagree on based on a brief conversation before we started recording. Yeah. How do we feel about Jim Broadbent as Horace Slughorn? So he is in no way true to my image of Slughorn from the book, but I love him as an actor and I really enjoyed him in this movie. Uh, these movies get so heavy and he is like the one like breath of fresh air, silly, doddering old bright spot in this in this dark landscape. So I, I found him to be pretty refreshing. Yeah, I liked Jim Broadbent's performance, but I don't know if he was playing Horace Slughorn, and I, I don't quite get... That's fine. Like, people can have different interpretations, but to me, playing him is this kind of, like, doddering, almost, like, bordering on senile. Is senile still cool to say? I think so. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. know. My as a gerontological psychologist is that is senile okay to say uh, i'll ask her uh but you know uh this kind of just yeah uh, very like almost frail old man uh to me slughorn is more like in charge and like lo- literally large and in charge also slughorn's not like fat they sort of like padded out they sort of gave him a paunch but i mean slughorn's just like an oversized personality and he kind of like runs the room and this slughorn just feels very faded to me you know i mean the slughorn in the books is like we're gonna fucking party (laughs) (laughs) i you know i think i agree that jim broadbent is an incredibly charming actor but I do think he takes away some of the like moral complications of Slughorn in a way that frustrated me a little bit because he's just extremely likable. Yeah. He's and he's a fairly likable Slughorn. Like there's some, you know, the there is the moral ambiguity of him kind of choosing not to reveal the memory and but even the scene with um even the the memory scene, he's a lot more hesitant and he just doesn't have that slughorn kind of slytherin like forcefulness and nastiness that I sort of associate with the character. Right. Like I think that like Slughorn's kind of sinister a in little, a fun way. Right. He's a really enjoyable character, but I think Jim Jim Broadbent was too sweet. Yeah, I think yeah. I I think I agree I, with that. I I agree too. I think one of the ways that, that really comes up for me is like in the movies, his not remembering Ron's name, like, good to see you, Wallenby, is like a, like, funny, like, ah, ha, ha, look at this, like, silly old man. Ron's not, like, significant enough to, like, to to warrant him remembering his name. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of a jerk. In the books, I, I read that almost as his, like, in, like, a very Slytherin, sort of casually demeaning mm, way to yeah. remember yeah. his name wrong. Uh, yeah, it's more like it's more like cognitive seeming in the movies. Like he's just a forgetful 
like right. dude. But right. And in the books, it is one of those things where somebody is deliberately undermining you by refusing to call you by the right name. Right. And also the party. Well, first of all, it's tragic that Sanguini is not in this movie. Where is Sanguini in this film? Where is Sanguini? Yeah. <laughs> Sanguini, the best part of Half-Blood Prince. But even the party scene, he's not the host with the most. Right, he's, yeah. He's, he's not, like, running the show, you know? But, he threw a good party, but he's the... Slughorn in the books is, like, the embodiment of, like, LinkedIn or whatever. Like, yeah. he's, like, making connections <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, yeah. endorsing people Partially for potions. that scene is just not long enough, you know? Oh, yeah. That, that's like, You know, for, for brevity's sake, I guess. But, like, there's just not enough that happens in that in that scene. Uh, it looks cool. I love the yellow lighting. It looks really nice and inviting and weird. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, there's just, there was so much cool that that's that party scene, the real like big slug club party is so essential. I think to like appreciating what the slughorn parties are about. And there just wasn't, wasn't enough of that. That scene was like more about Snape than it was about Slughorn. Well, and that's the other hard thing is Alan Rickman's performance in these movies is so good that it seems genuinely hard to act with him because he just, he's the center of attention. There's even the scene where Ron is in the hospital wing and he's muttering Hermione's name and there's the big, you know, dramatic scene with Lavender and Snape's facial expression is so fucking funny that it's all I could watch because Alan Rickman just cannot help but totally dominate the screen just with his <laughs> face. It seems like it would be really hard to be in a scene with Snape as any other character in Harry Potter because that performance is just like mind blowing. It's a completely different character, but it's incredible yeah he's so good as snape and he's so good in this one even though snape is incredibly important but weirdly not in that many scenes right shows up to finish off dumbledore uh one last thought on slughorn i do like the fishbowl monologue it's a little sentimental and it's not in the books even though i yeah i had this false memory of it being in the book so i think i messed that up on an earlier episode uh although it was swiftly corrected that's not canon at all uh, about getting the fishbowl from Lily and uh, the Lily turns into a fish and then the fishbowl is empty when uh, the day she dies because like the magic is gone. Uh, I don't know. The way he says the word, it was the most beautiful magic. Just like sometimes you forget that they're all about magic, that this stuff is like amazing, you know, that they take it for granted almost. But I just think, I think that's a nice moment. It also does some work that doesn't always ha- that doesn't happen a lot in the books and it sort of builds Lily's character a bit more because she's sort of just like perfect dead mom a lot of the times in the books and this sort of like gives us a window into it raises the stakes a bit for Lily's death which aren't always there because you sort of just like take it for granted that that had to happen to make Harry Potter Harry Potter that scene that scene was really nice there's a couple of like added dialogue bits in this movie that I think I have now in my head they also happen in the in the in the book and they they don't like as i recall that that dumbledore ah young love yeah yeah that's not in the the books yeah but it's so funny and perfect like 
There's also the conversation toward the beginning where Molly isn't sure she wants to send them back to Hogwarts and they talk about Dumbledore maybe kind of losing his touch and being a little too old to really run the show. None of which, there's no moments of doubt of Dumbledore in the books which I don't find incredibly believable actually and I like that the movie has that moment of even the parents being like, you know, he's the greatest wizard of all time but he's also like 200 and... (laughs) Maybe we should have some questions about his judgment, seeing as he's showed exclusively poor judgment for six years. Yeah. I just didn't know if that... That didn't feel like in Molly Weasley's, like, character, though, because... But her level of worry, it it did feel like character for me. I think Molly's lack of doubt in Hogwarts is actually less believable in the books. Mm. Because she is so overprotective, and I can see her being, like, doubting her trust, even in the sort of most, like... Although she's always like, if you're where Dumbledore is, you'll be safe. But I don't know why anyone believes that. (laughs) So I like the idea of Molly Weasley being like, is that true though? Has that proved true? There's a direct correlation between your proximity to Dumbledore and your proximity to mortal peril. Yeah. So the clock should indicate, you know. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. They always seem surprised. I know. It's true. Um, Okay, what other weird little quibbles do we have about the movie what about this battle scene that doesn't happen in the books there's this like there's this wheat field battle in the middle of the movie that takes place at the burrow and then the burrow gets incinerated burns to the ground (laughs) yeah i didn't care for that what is the purpose of that scene i think i i have an idea but i'm curious what you guys think it's just so just dropped in there it's totally out of place is it just to give like Harry and um, Ginny a little bit more like together time. Yeah, because she runs after him. I-, I think it's kind of the book is sort of a slow burn, and I maybe the director and the producers felt that they needed to have kind of a midway through action scene. Because it's true, and we talked about this during the book episodes. There's a lot of fun kind of side plots and a lot of interesting kind of character business in the book yeah but it really does it has a pretty different tone than order of the phoenix it's the quietest of the harry potter books until the very end i think and even that scene isn't super loud like it's intense and it's extreme it's probably the most extreme moment of the books but it just poof it just happens yeah and you don't get and the whole battle is off screen off right yeah page whatever it's funny because they put this just extraneous wheat field battle into the middle and then they take out the whole battle of the astronomy tower at the end of the film they just kind of walk into hogwarts assassinate dumbledore and then just bounce yeah bellatrix like, like kicks over some goblets and <laughs> shouts a bunch <laughs> the one thing I like about the Wheatfield scene is that Lupin can clearly smell Greyback when he's like coming out the door of the burrow. Oh, is I didn't like, notice that. And they're like, and Tonks mentions it being the beginning of the cycle, you know, the like werewolf cycle. Uh, and so he like pauses and he's just like staring out there. And I realized on this like this viewing, it's like he can tell Greyback's out there. This is a werewolf recognizing a werewolf, which I thought was a cool little thing. Yeah. Oh, I totally didn't pick up on that. But uh, I think you're right about them, like, randomly throwing in things to, like, remind us that the Death Eaters are still out there and still bad. Like, there's that one little, like, almost, it's just a throwaway scene where you get, like, three, what we assume are Death Eater, black smoke trails 
shooting towards Hogwarts, and then they bounce off a sheet. They just bounce <laughs> off. <laughs> I forgot about that. That was so weird. Why would they do that? <laughs> They're just like checking. Just every testing. So often. Yeah. Dumbledore's. I mean, Voldemort's like just. Just go check. Maybe they yeah. forgot to turn on the force field tonight. <laughs> Just try it out. Uh, testing the fences systematically for weaknesses. <laughs> little Jurassic, bringing the Jurassic Park back. Um, um, well, so speaking of Lupin's moment with Greyback, we also get Lupin and Tonks in a relationship throughout the entire story. So, I mean, I hate that romance, but at least we lose the kind of pathetic Tonks storyline, which is just extremely irritating. I mean, he never would have been able to fit that into the film. Right, but, but it's But they have to set up the stakes of his and her death in the next Right, uh, so they need the, next films. the couple, yeah. which it does feel like it falls out of nowhere, but to be fair, it falls out of nowhere in the books too, so. <laughs> um, I actually find them more believable as a couple in the movie. I think the acting is pretty warm and nice and well done, so he's just... God, what's that actor's David name? Thewlis. David Thewlis. David Thewlis is just also another one of those actors who's so great in that role and just makes everything work better. Yeah, just feels like Lupin, I think, to me, anyway. Okay, other little quibbles. This isn't a quibble, but this is another major thing they change. At the end of the movie, Harry and Snape have this moment before Snape kills Dumbledore. Where Harry trusts Snape. yeah. Harry, like, elects to do nothing in the films. And in the books, uh, he's frozen by Dumbledore's, like, wordless charm. So in this, like, he, like, makes eye contact with Snape. Snape, like, shushes him and is like, I got this. And then... And Harry lets him go up. Yeah. So I'm that, to me, just, like, completely changes that scene in ways that are interesting. Do you believe that Harry would do that? I don't know. I think in the movies, yes. Okay, but Book Harry. Would Book Harry let Snape go because i don't harry think so that's doesn't... why that's why dumbledore freezes him right yeah, Book yeah harry doesn't trust snape like at all i think it is a really interesting change um and yeah i, I agree with you alex that um movie harry and would would probably be okay with it and i agree with you heather book harry would absolutely not at no point does he trust snape ever and the only time he has to is in a moment of purest desperation when he tells him that like sirius has been lured to the to the Um, He sort of gets proven wrong about trusting Snape in that moment. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that brings us to the interesting fact that these are different characters. I think another example, like movie Harry and book Harry are are not the same character. I would say like there's actually more distance there than with a lot of the other characters. And one example of that is Harry is kind of a horn dog in this movie. Harry is horny as hell in this book, in this movie. Yeah. Harry, yeah. Harry Potter in the books would never. I, I think it's fine. I think we've complained, we've questioned before the boys' kind of lack of sex drive in the books. In this one, Harry is trying to like hook up with a barista in the beginning of the movie. Uh, book Harry would never be trying to do that. And then like he finds out that Romilda Vane is trying to slip him a love potion because he's the chosen one, and he's sort of into it. Yeah, he's like medium okay with it. Yeah, it's like, all right. He's not terrified. (laughs) Book Harry is terrified. Yeah, he's like, I mean, I'm not into her, but like, I get it. You know, look at me. (laughs) (laughs) And there's even his scene with Ginny. First of all, I actually, I really, really, really like their first kiss in the book. And it's so cinematic. I think it's a huge lost opportunity. That moment where they win the Quidditch match 
without Harry and he walks into the common room and she just like fucking grabs him in this like and this is like a super sexy kiss Mm -hmm. I love that and I wish they had done that but there's instead they have this room of requirement kiss which is kind of underwhelming as far as I'm concerned but then um Ginny kind of slyly says like you can hide me away up here too if you want and it's like dang whoa that's more innuendo that exists in the entire written series. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of problems with Ginny and Harry's like relationship interactions in this movie. And this is actually, this one I'm passing along from Maya. Maya absolutely hates the shoe tying, like Ginny getting on her like knees oh, on the staircase so and like tying Harry's shoe for him. She's like, what is this patriarchal bullshit? Like, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and Ginny would never. No. Ginny isn't like a gentle kind of like. Subservient. Motherly. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's not Ginny's character at all. She's just not maternal. And she's really maternal in the movies. Yeah. Oh, well. I mean, it's tough. You know, there's like, you got two and a half hours to squeeze everything in. So I'm like sympathetic to the challenge of like building fully realized characters but yeah sure the Ginny thing doesn't it doesn't quite land for me either and i love them as a couple can i just say i love the way snape's house looks i love that we get to see it and i love that it's like a like a row house like mill town i mean they describe the neighborhood that way in the books but i had a hard time picturing it but i absolutely love the way that they filmed it and the way that the house looks and like his choice to live there instead of like somewhere nicer you know, it's such like an interesting, an interesting Snape decision. Somebody who like refers to himself as the half-blood prince, like would still, would live in like a lushly appointed but crappy location house. Like what a beautiful way to capture the, the, inter, the, the sort of conflict in, in Snape's soul. Because the house inside is like a, per, it's just a giant study, you know, it's just like a, a really nice little play. Also the like, the hilarious secret handshake that is involved in the unbreakable vow where they like have to like grasp each other's wrists and then turn the hands over. I think is hilarious. Um, yo, is it me or was there a tiny dragon roasting nuts in Diagon Alley? Yes, there was. It's not. Yeah. yeah at, um, at Weasley's wizard wheezes. That's not okay. You're not allowed to have those. I'm positive we've established that you're not allowed to have dragons. I actually, you know what I think it is? I think it's one of the dragon figurines from, it looked just like the figurines from um, Goblet of Fire. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's a real dragon. I think they've enchanted a dragon figurine to, to do the fire. To do fire? Well, okay, so is it a dragon or not? No. It's just an enchanted, oh, cool. like, dragon puppet. That can blow fire? Yeah. It's magic, Alex! I know, but, like, what is that dragon's experience? It's nothing. It's not sentient. All right. It's They do have animatronics in this movie. Like, for some reason, there's a giant animatronic wizard on the front of... I thought we- that was weird. I was like, why would you need something <laughs> mechanical? It made weird little robot noises, too. I, it's so silly. It is silly. It's actually really visually pleasing, but it doesn't sort of make sense in a magical world. But I do, I mean, I like it. So one thing that annoyed me in that scene is that the Weasley twins are wearing these really drab, brown, unfashionable suits, and they look terrible, and it really clashes with their hair. And you're supposed to understand them as 
fabulously dressed and like really really flashy like they're in green dragon skin suits in a couple of scenes in the books yeah they're supposed to be really cool and they look like uncool and like nouveau riche kind of yeah i imagine them with like big canes like big walking (laughs) sticks with like rubies in them yeah basically i kind of imagine like a black exploitation character outfit for the weasleys sure sure like um black dynamite or human tornado i'm with you hey speaking of walking sticks how awesome is the scene where um filch calls draco out on his super pretentious little cane yeah he's like why do you think it's a walking stick he's like why do you even need this (laughs) (laughs) well also draco has like a briefcase draco climbs off the hogwarts express with like a banker's briefcase it's super strange looking i also like that he puts on like a dark suit to like go after dumbledore oh yeah he gets like dressed he like (laughs) it's wearing he's he's fussy and kind of he's ridiculous i I just think i would have wanted to wear something kind of looser fitting if i was going into like an assassination mode you know what i mean like (laughs) instead he's got like he just, yeah, he's got his, like, double Windsor knot or whatever to battle Dumbledore. I don't know. He looks good doing it, I guess. If they're trying to sneak to Borgen and Burks, we know is connected to the Blue Network, why do they walk down Diagon Alley? And then climb on the roof. Yeah, they do this parkour maneuver to spy on... Well, that's the kids, but why do the Malfoys walk down the oh, alley? Yeah, oh, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> completely unsubtle yeah it's <laughs> deeply unsubtle not just the malfoys but bellatrix and uh right. fenrir folks that are wanted yeah there's wanted posters of fenrir grayback everywhere and he just waltzes in <laughs> everyone's like is that is that fenrir grayback <laughs> should he be here also can we can we talk about the fact that Raxperts are real and Luna Lovegood is a genius? That is exactly the note I was just reading from. <laughs> yes, Raxperts are real. So when we don't get the part where Tonks finds Harry on the train, when Draco stomps Harry and then covers him with the invisibility cloak, Luna finds him because there's Raxperts around his head that she can actually see through her crazy goggles. Her, like, spectrospecs? Is that yeah. what she's wearing? Something, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Which so, means she can see through invisibility cloaks. No, they're around. They're not But they're through. around his head, but you can tell. It's like a heat, like, no, signatures or something. No, are real. No, I know, but it means that she can foil an invisibility cloak because by just looking for Raxperts... That's true. Right? Luna has superpowers in addition to just magical Why powers. does he let her <laughs> fix so, his nose instead? Why does no one go to Madame Pomfrey? I don't know. It's just like too much of a hassle. She does an okay yeah, job, yeah. doesn't she? Yeah, she, she fixes, fixes it. it. It just like hurts like hell. But like last time someone other than Madame Pomfrey tried to fix Harry, all the bones in his arm disappeared. That yeah. is true. You might be skeptical of DIY medicine. She like flat out says, I've never done a nose before. I've only done toes. How different can they be? Well, as different as bone versus cartilage. It ain't the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not made of the same thing. <laughs> um, Another just like little weird observation. Dumbledore asks if Harry and Hermione are smashing. Oh yeah, what's up with that? I wrote I wrote a note. Don't you love it when your principal tries to be casual with you by asking about girls you like? 
<laughs> but there's no way Dumbledore thinks that Harry and Hermione are together. He's way, way too insightful He's for plugged that. into everything, man. Yeah. Dumbledore knows exactly who is with who. Yeah, there's no way he thinks that. I also don't think he would care. Yeah. No, like, I don't I'm, either. It's like, totally you do you, man. Okay, one thing I do want to make sure we get to, I think the best scene maybe in the Harry Potter films, period, is the Felix Felicis scene. It's so funny, and Harry acts it so well. He's just high as fuck, which I think is a really funny interpretation of how Felix Felicis makes you feel. Love it. He's just like, whatever, man, I'm just gonna do what feels right. (laughs) I feel like as an actor, he was so relieved to not have to be a moody fuck for a few hours. that like It just seemed really fun to make. Yeah. Well, everybody seems like they're having so much fun making this movie, and that scene in particular. Like, that that scene gives us one of the funniest Harry Potter moments, I think, ever, where he does the, uh, they're standing at, over the corpse of Aragog, and uh, Hagrid is talking about how people are creeped out because spiders have so many eyes, and Harry's like, and the pincers, and he does that little, like, Yeah, like, which is, like, key, like, such a meme. Yeah. Gif-worthy, man. Yeah. Gif? No, we've talked about this. Yeah, totally. Uh, it is It is a movie in which the actors seem to be having fun, which yeah, makes it really fun. Yeah, everybody feels a little more relaxed, a little more the the kind of, yeah, the Harry Potter's in its groove at this point, well, which it should be. I think, movie six. Well, it's also, it's similar to how the book feels in that you do get a little bit of relief. So in the other making of the other movies, they had to do all these wild action scenes and all these extremely intense emotional scenes and there's a war coming up and Dobby's gonna die and Hedwig's gonna die and all this really fucked up stuff is gonna happen and sure Dumbledore dies and that's a very intense moment but beyond that this is actually kind of a relaxing Harry Potter movie as Harry Potter movies go yeah it's sort of a teen sex comedy in spots yeah Ron is really beefy (laughs) and funny like actually funny and oh and harry's also a lot more harry's also a lot more observant like harry figures out that hermione's in love with ron which he kind of doesn't in the book he's like vaguely aware he kind of wants to he avoids it in the books but in the book in the movie they really they actually talk about it he's much more emotionally intelligent in the films definitely can we talk about the hilarious costuming choice uh, okay so it's it's kind of a soccer joke right because some soccer goalies wear that ridiculous helmet that Ron is wearing, and some of them don't because it looks stupid. And I love that Ron wears it. And yeah. So it, you know? It's so inconvenient. They made Ron look like the doofy goalie, and what a good choice. It's and really funny. He wears it to breakfast, which is such a funny scene. He's just sitting there in his dumb helmet at breakfast time. Also, Cormac is interesting because that actor is extremely hot. But Cormac's hot, right? Like, I think of him as a little more like luggish, but I guess mm, no. Okay, he's, yeah. he's supposed to be kind of sexy, but I just found that, that actor um, charming. That actor is named Frank Delane, um, and uh, he is, I think, oh no, it's Freddie Stroma. I'm sorry, Freddie Stroma. And he's also, uh, U.S. audiences might recognize him as Sam Tarley's older brother, Dickon, in Game of Thrones. Oh, Whoa. Game of yep. Thrones crossover. Interesting. Yeah, well, Jim Broadbent's another one, of course. Yeah. Is Jim Broadbent in Thrones? Yeah. Man, he's I don't... One of the, uh, 
he's one of the, he's he's one of the meisters at the at the tower thing the citadel i don't know yeah. a damn thing about game of thrones i know that daenerys like did a bad this week yes that did happen people are very upset i am not upset but many people are <laughs> my mom was very upset Aww. She was like, this is why we'll never have a woman president. <laughs> <laughs> because women keep getting character arcs like this. <laughs> wow. They're That's depicted heavy. as... <laughs> Mom was furious. <laughs> like women can't help but go bananas yeah. eventually. Yeah. It's <laughs> gonna happen to us all. We're all gonna lose it one time or another. Um, okay, do we have anything else we want to we wanna focus on here? I have a couple more throw-ins if I could. Oh, I, also, I didn't, we didn't really talk about how great the physical comedy is in this movie in general. It's great. It's hilarious. Yeah, this is the it, funniest, I think, of the Harry Potter films. Yeah. The, like, there's another really funny bit in the Aragog funeral scene where, like, right as Hagrid is saying, like, I think it's the word, like, magnificent or something like that describing uh, Aragog, Slughorn, like, breaks his tooth off. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that is a good moment. Which I love. There's Harry and Ron's whole, like, scramble for the, uh, for the book in the cupboard. They do a really good job of, like, just, like, two friends, like, shoving and, like, trying, like fighting each other out of the way. Yeah. Um, I also want to mention that the kid who plays young... Tom Riddle, like the youngest one at the um, orphanage, his real name. First of all, he's Ray, he's uh, Ralph Fiennes's uh, or Ray Fiennes's nephew, which is why they look similar. Yeah. Um, and his actual full name is Hero Beauregard Faulkner Fiennes Tiffin, which is <laughs> the most incorrect. British thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. His first name is Hero. That's such a choice. Wow. I know. That's like kind yeah. of begging. That's like tempting fate, a little yes. bit. You know, that's that's hubris on your parents' part. Yep. Well, he does play the greatest dark wizard of all time. Very briefly, <laughs> I actually, you know, initially when I was watching the kind of media, the teen age Voldemort, I missed the original Tom Riddle. But I think I might like this new actor better because he's got. He's creepier. The first guy was just kind of charming. Yeah. And he didn't quite have... He had a little bit of a Ted Bundy vibe. But this little boy is really scary and, again, has kind of a horror movie vibe. A little unnerving. Like a little bit of a bad seed vibe. Yeah. I kind of like the new teenage Tom better. What do you think, Kyle? Oh, the the, the, the 16-year-old yeah. Tom? The one from the memory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is Frank Delane, who was also on Sense8. Um, he plays Shug on Sense8, and he's also on um, Fear the Walking Dead, the Walking oh. Dead spinoff. He's good. He's around. He's doing good stuff. Yeah. He's he's unnerving. Yeah. Why do they hide the book as opposed to destroying it? Because I think there is a – well, my interpretation is that there's probably a part of Harry that knows that someday he will want to find it again because it's before he knows it's Snape. But I think that Ginny and Hermione would definitely suggest just, like, burning it. Right. So why does Ginny hide it for him? I don't know. Just so they can get... Also, it's just, just so they can get, like... Alone in the alone room of requirement. Room of requirement. Uh, okay. Oh, speaking of physical comedy and the room of requirement, though, every time Tom fell, every time uh, Draco goes up to the vanishing cabinet... 
he incredibly dramatically unveils it. (laughs) Yeah, he pulls this, like, rug blanket thing off of the vanishing cabinet with this sort of magician's flourish every single time. And then I don't know how he gets that blanket back on it. There's like seven of those shots. It's over and over, and the vanishing cabinet is way too tall for him to replace the blanket unless he does it with his wand. Yeah, magic. Which doesn't seem useful or important (laughs) to do, because it doesn't completely hide it. It just sort of... It's very, it's like rakishly hanging off of the cabinet. And it's like, why do you need to put that blanket back on every time? Just so you can like flourishingly remove it. There are so many dramatic vanishing cabinet unveils. (laughs) There's like four or five. I do like the vanishing cabinet, the apples and birds. I like how he tests it. I think that's visually really interesting. Mm -hmm. And it kind of builds in a way that you don't get in the book. It builds, like, Draco's tension and, like, the stakes for him, I think. You know, you can really see him struggling with it throughout the film in a way that I, I think is nice. I don't understand the way the, van- the way the rumor requirement works in this movie in particular. Like, it shows you exactly what you need, right? So why is it the same room for Draco as it is for Harry and Ginny? Yeah, that like, should have been, like, the back should- seat of, like, a Corolla or something for them. <laughs> it's right. it's the same way in um, Deathly Hallows, though. That room becomes really important when they're looking for the diadem. So I think it's the point is that it becomes just like a junk room if what you're thinking is I need somewhere to hide this. Like it's the same hiding place for anyone who has that particular thought. That seems like a real flaw. Yeah, I, I mean it's kind of a it is a it is kind of a broken system. It's, is that the room? Wise. It's that's just the room of requirements default setting. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe just actually. A, just a, yeah, just a closet. Seems like it. <laughs> but so my other question is: Did Draco find the vanishing cabinet in the room of requirement, or did he move it into the room of requirement somehow? Well, I think he found it there because he knew it was connected to the one in Borg. He figured out that it was connected to the one in Borgen and Bergs. But how did he find it in the huh, first place? Who knows? Like I don't. That doesn't make any well, sense to me. He's been into the room of requirement before, right? When they catch the don't when they catch Dumbledore's army. Yeah, but he's But only, then it's not the storage room, it's like something else. He's only been into it when yeah. it was the DA headquarters. Yeah. So he hasn't yeah, ever right. seen it. I mean, unless sense. unless he's just walking around the school thinking I need a way to kill Dumbledore and it just that doesn't but that doesn't work. That's not how it works because the, Harry is like I need a way to catch Draco and it he can't get in. Right. Well, and like, if he opens it and it's a jumble, if he's thinking, I need a way to kill Dumbledore, and he opens it and it's the storage closet, like, full of stuff, how does he even identify which of the things in there is the thing that is going to be useful to him in killing Dumbledore? Like, yeah. It yeah, it doesn't quite... Maybe Snape knows about it? Oh, uh, yeah, that would make sense. I think that makes the most sense if Snape tells him about it. Because maybe... I don't know. It, Snape seems like someone who just had explored every item in there just to be sinister and figure out if there was anything creepy he could do. <laughs> like maybe he heard Fred and George talking about it, I guess. Oh, that's right because they put Oh, no. I remember how he figures it out because they put he they put one of the Fred and George had shoved a Slytherin Quidditch player into a vanishing cabinet and he got lost in limbo for like 6 weeks. But how does he know where it is? Because when he the guy came when the guy finally got back to Hogwarts, he was able to tell the other Slytherins about it. Oh. 
So it was a friend, yeah, this was a Fred and George special. Oh, That's how it happened. Okay, totally I forgot. forgot. About that. Yeah, I, forgot I forget. About that. I forgot what Slytherin they put in there. They had some Slytherin name with a lot of like consonants or something. I don't know. That's a terrible thing to do to someone. Yeah, they could have killed him. As we learned from the bird. Yeah. As soon as I'm done with these birds. <laughs> Fred and George are so close to manslaughter so many times in these books. My unsung hero is Jesse Cave, who plays Lavender Brown, who just gives a virtuoso teen girl performance. And Lavender Brown is so charming in the movie. And you totally get why Ron is into her. Whereas in the book, you're meant to understand her as extremely irritating and silly. I think Jessie Cave Lavender Brown is, first of all, very pretty and funny and kind to Ron. And I totally get wanting to snog her. I think she's adorable. I think Jessie Cave really brings that character to life in a really satisfying way. And she and Ron macking all the time is great and really funny. <laughs> That mine, mine is the same person. I just heard like the shot when Ron is making it snow, and then he's like asking like, "How exactly did we break up?" And they like turn and they like all look at her as one. And she's like sitting at a table nearby. Which why is she not at the Gryffindor table? But whatever. She's sitting at a table nearby with like silverware stabbed down into the table, just like furiously staring at Ron. God, so good. Such such a funny thing. Yeah, she actually really contributes to the physical comedy in the movie. Mm -hmm. She's extremely adept, and even the scene at Ron's bedside where she's humiliated and scorned, she's so funny. I mean, she's, like, emotionally resonant, too, but I just think she's hysterical. Okay, Alex, who's your unsung hero? I like... You know, I think Rupert Grint does a great job in this one as Ron. He feels very Ron Weasley to me. He's really grown into the role. Yeah, he has. And uh, he's jacked as hell. <laughs> Tom Felton, too, I think, uh, has nicely, does a nice job as Draco. Again, you, you kind of, he gets that pathos across in a way that makes you feel kind of sorry for him. And yeah, it's hard to make people feel sorry for Draco. There are a few scenes where you see Draco's real humanity in a way that's hard to even capture in the books. I think he brings that to life nicely. Where the fuck is Dobby? Where oh, is Dobby? I know. Dobby, they leave Dobby out in really key books, and it's really frustrating, because Dobby's so great in this one. Yeah. No Dobby. Our unsung yeah. missing hero. Him yeah. and Peeves. No Dobby. Alas. No ghosts of any kind in this movie. Actually. Oh, yeah. Oh. Did ghosts play a critical role in this book? We just finished it, but I don't remember. Sometimes Nick shows up to provide, like, important exposition, just because he's been floating around. Yeah. Well, I do think, to the kind of visual effect and the visual palette of this movie, the ghosts, as they were in movies one and two, were really goofy-looking and dorky. Kind of haunted mansion. And I don't think they would fit. Yeah. I think they would have to kind of redo the look of the ghosts in order to put them in these later David Yates movies. So I think visually removing the ghosts because i do well i mean i guess it would be fine to just rethink them but they look really dumb <laughs> in, it is like the haunted mansion yeah yeah <laughs> but anyway yeah i like this movie i had a good time watching it likewise it, it was exciting <laughs> 
There was a big zombie battle in it. Everyone looked like Gollum. Oh, they did look like Gollum. Which was yeah. a little irritating, but fine. Yeah. Harry tries to septum sempra them for some reason. He just gets really into that spell, which you'd, you'd think he would be a little traumatized by its usage. <laughs> but I guess not. Yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by... The Vanishing Cabinet. Don't put birds in there. It's bad for them. The... Film clips you heard are courtesy of Warner Brothers Pictures. They are from David Yates's direction of, I don't know, how do I say that? They are from Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, directed by David Yates, starring various British wonders. It's a Warner Brothers picture. It's the only thing Disney doesn't own now, basically. True that. I think the most hilarious thing that could happen is if J.K. Rowling got on Twitter and was like, just to force a merger, was like, guess what? The Resurrection Stone is an Infinity Stone. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. And everyone's like, what? You can't do that. Like, She's like, I can do whatever yeah. I goddamn please. <laughs> you can't retcon Marvel Universe, J.K. Rowling. She's like, I can do anything. I can do literally anything. I'm magic. Horcruxes are better than Infinity Stones. Yeah. Because they each have a story. But we can't get into that because this is not an Avengers Harry Potter crossover podcast. No, nor could it be because I've seen like three of those movies. <laughs> um, and I hated Age of Ultron more than anything. Anyway, you can find us on social media if you are so inclined. We are at Quibbler Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are a little quiet on social right now because as most of you know... We are on a kind of a baby hiatus between books. But have no fear, we will be back with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows in Two Shakes of a Lamb's Tale. By which I mean soonish, but we're not sure exactly when. This summer, for sure. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If that happens to be Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate a rating and a review y'all came through hard on that front in the past couple of weeks and we appreciate you immensely so if you haven't done that yet go for it we read them all even the mean ones we are open to constructive criticism yeah somebody left just a bunch of devil faces and one star (laughs) which was sort of delightful in a kind of special way but it wasn't our fave it's pretty extra way to leave a review I mean, it was hysterical, (laughs) but also mean. We also just can't glean much from that. Yeah, we can't. Stop being the devil. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So that's that. We will talk to you soon with Deathly Hallows, and we will let you know a little bit ahead of time when that's coming back, but look for us in the next couple of months. Thanks, amigos. because she thinks you're the chosen one. But I am the chosen one. Okay, sorry. Um, kidding. So, did you and Ginny do it then? What? You know, like the book. Oh, yeah.